Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Warning, and my guest today is Mustana Nazarian, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Melbourne, Australia. She also teaches uh, Pilates and Aikido and teaches music. She is a musician herself. And we're going to talk today about the whole issue of musicians who play in pain and and specifically about their training and how that may uh, perhaps contribute to the problem. Uh, Mastana, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for having me again. You're most welcome. Glad to talk to you again. Um, yes. What is, this is about our 10th conversation, I think, over the years. Um, so could you give our listeners a brief description or definition of the Alexander Technique? Sure. Alexander Technique is a teaching method for learning to construct support. Okay. And it's been around for a long time, and it's pretty well known among musicians uh, as a way of helping improve their performance skills and and help them with pain and discomfort. And I know that what you're interested in, interest is right now for purposes of this conversation is how how a training of musicians may not may inadvertently create problems is that what you how you view it or t- t- tell me what it is that that is your your concern here well right now uh, for the past couple of years I've been teaching in the tertiary environment and also reflecting back on my own time in the music school in Boston mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of uh, there's almost a culture that sees pain as a normal part of learning mm-hmm. and yes. uh, for example I'll give you some examples the instrumental teachers um, will have some phrase like no pain no gain and this would be taken quite literally by some people mm-hmm. and so I was I was mostly surrounded in a uh, jazz contemporary improvisation environment and then added to this there's uh, almost mystique about talent and uh, there's uh, multi levels of pressure about competition um it's very psychologically intense and also uh physically there's uh i don't know i think i remember some sometimes guitarists going into a practice room or pianists going to a practice room and like they kind of emerged about nine and a half hours later <laughs> yes yeah yes i, I see and that all the during time the, during this time, they're paying attention to many aspects of uh, musicianship. They might be doing their theory homework or um, obviously their uh, technical practice or preparing for a concert. But um, there's almost no, uh, it's maybe a little bit easier or it's expanded now, but back then there was almost no place to go and say, hey, I'm hurting or my wrists are hurting. Um because most of your instrumental teachers had gone gone off, you know, some of them had been in Vietnam or some of them had been into quite uh, right. <laughs> intense situations in our life. I was like, well, it's a sign that you're getting better. Yeah. Experiencing no pain, there's no gain. So, yeah. And so 
And uh, I think there was a study in 2014 that was done in England, and they, they found that um, there was a study of musicians in orchestras. They found that there was something like an 80% of musicians who they interviewed had uh, um, said yes to either, either experiencing or having had experienced pain from either cramped conditions, the long hours, the social aspects of working evenings and weekends, and the, the level of competition makes it so that whether you're in university level or then getting into a professional setting, to say that you're in pain, it's almost sort of like self-sabotage. <laughs> because the right. word gets around very quickly that you're not fit to perform. Right. And of course, when this happens for, for uh, when this happens for uh, an athlete in college, well, there's all sorts of places that they can go and all sorts of help that they can seek, um, all mm. sorts of supports that they can have to uh, help them overcome the injuries. Or sometimes the injuries becomes a good storyline. Right, um, right, exactly. But, but you know, if you're not Roger Federer winning a sixteenth <laughs> big Grand Slam at 43 or at 36 years of age or whatever, um, it, it's, it doesn't sound so attractive. But we are not all the Roger Federers of uh, our musical instruments, unfortunately. Right, uh, right. And that study you mentioned, uh, th- there have been a number of studies that, that have all shown pretty much the same thing that a very, very high proportion of professional musicians are in pain at least some of the time. And um, I, I, I work a lot with students, uh, music students, and um, th- what you said about pain is absolutely correct. They're, they're hesitant to mention it, and when they do mention it, the, uh, the solutions given by their teachers are often well just don't practice for a few days or sometimes they might be sent to a physical therapist and usually that doesn't address the issue but there's not a lot of support for a a, a music student who's who's in pain yeah and there's a i had one specific situation last year when a, a quite a talented pianist I could see he wasn't he wasn't going to talk about it, but this was a, a group tutorial in the Alexander Technique. But I could tell that there was something not quite right about his uh, his left hand and his left side. And at, at, when he finished playing this brilliant Beethoven, he said, yeah, I've been to the physio and uh, they sort of checked out my wrist. And, and then he said, this is his subjective... Manner is I kind of like what they did and what they said, and I said, um, and then in addition they said something like, "Oh yeah, we do the Alexander technique." So some of the problem also comes from the fact that in uh, I know in Australia, but in uh, America as well, Alexander technique isn't um, under governance from a a national system of health, Mm -hmm. so. In a way, there's there's nothing I can do if all physiotherapists say, I do the Alexander Technique. Yeah, um, I, I haven't seen so. that problem. <laughs> I haven't seen that problem here that much, but it, c- it can certainly happen. 
Um, there is hmm. there is no nothing to prevent anybody from calling themselves an Alexander teacher. So there, there is a, an issue there. But I think um, maybe the bigger issue is that that they're not. First of all, a lot of music students can't afford Alexander lessons, and mm. or of course, and some of them there, there may not be any Alexander teachers nearby. That's that's a potential problem, um, and yes. I and and I don't know. Some I I have uh, I've noticed that some professors would regularly tell students who are in pain, well, you, maybe you should have Alexander lessons, but they're, they're relatively few and far between who, who take that approach. So wh- what, do you, what do you see as the solution to this problem? Well, I kind of look at it in, when I work with musicians in uh, trying to look at the facts, and the facts are that, um, well, Alexander himself learned violin. Mm-hmm. So he was interested in music, and he, this is early when he was developing his uh, method. He was very interested in singing. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason I want to talk about how the Alexander Technique can be helpful to individuals who are experiencing pain within their te- training, within their music tra- training, is that the process really reflects how music is put together anyway. Mm-hmm. Because, because what we're what we're talking about is we're talking about a technique for learning to construct support. So it's a technique for really uh, understanding how the way we support the torso can make our arms and our legs, if you're an organist or a pianist or a drummer, um, well, not, not impeded by the pressure from the, from from gravity that's placed through the torso, so the torso becomes literally a support for the arms rather than uh, the instrument sort of pushing down on the torso. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's so many realities in 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 the in the fact that the student is dealing with um, time as far as when their exams are and the pressures of the things that they have to. Uh, learn and execute and produce and reproduce uh, as part of their study that the Alexander technique can really help them look broadly and learn to expand their focus in a way that as a result of expanding their focus, they're learning to improve how they do what they do. So, it's not Alexander technique isn't just for improving the RSI or the neck pain, excuse me. But, but it, it helps the person learn how to create support in the way they think about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's almost a, a a top down solution rather than just focusing on the wrist or just focusing on the neck. Yeah, well, and, I think uh, I think the common tendency is uh, okay. I've got wrist pain. There's something I need to do with my wrist, and that is not usually going to get to the real issue because everything in our body is connected with everything else. And if you don't have good support, if you don't have 
if you're not using gravity well, you're not using the support of the earth well, then you're going to end up creating discomfort that could appear and with one person might appear in their wrist and with someone else it might appear in their neck. And unless you deal with that overall question, you're not likely to get a good... You're likely to get, you may get a Band-Aid solution, but it won't be a permanent one. That's oh uh, yes, yeah, suppose that, yeah, you know, that's uh, very true. So, I, and I think I think some musicians are when if they do come for Alexander lessons, and especially if they're in pain and it's kind of become a crisis situation, are are going to be shocked when you work with them in it with activities like walking or sitting in a chair, things like that that don't seem to have that much to do with playing yeah well it's that's um but be i suppose uh, my challenge as a teacher is to look at the student as a whole and to be able to address that with them from the beginning so that they're not doing a wait and see uh kind of solution because of the expense that's involved and Mm -hmm. of the Again, it goes back to the the time pressures and the the pressures. Well, the pressures to perform, right? And the anxiety related with that. That it's only well, it could lead to the pain, but it also compounds the pain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. for example, I've introduced some really um, precise methods in my Skype teaching, especially, but even when I teach people one to one in Melbourne that allows the student to have something very concrete when they're not in the lesson. I yeah. mean, very concrete yeah. movements, mm-hmm. not just ways to think, because there's no way to create a learning that constructs support if we're just thinking about thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, you know, Alexander himself, he used mirrors. He He looked at, how he was moving. So uh, I've made a conscious decision to really bring into my teaching how I help the student learn the premise that they're only going to get better at, let's say, over a series of six to eight lessons, not 50, not 70, not 25, Mm -hmm. but a short number of lessons that Mm -hmm. are there for them to really be able to put into practice immediately. Um, it's not it's not in a sense of being a band-aid or trying to appease to their expectations in any way because the students will know that that's not authentic. Um, so I think it's fantastic that there are so many, as you, as you mentioned, so many techniques and uh, methodologies that have been developed over, over the last 30 years to make the Alexander technique or more affordable and also more practical um, for, for someone who is dealing with pain and the pressures of performance, in a, especially in a school, tertiary university setting. Right, right. And I, I don't know, what, you know, I don't know what, what specific um, uh, projects you give students uh, on their own, but I'm a big believer in students starting to work on themselves right away right from the first lesson oh yes and and Absolutely. i also um generally um 
try to keep the sequence of lessons pretty short. I mean, for as you say, for a personal opinion is that of mine is that you may or may not agree that Skype lessons are in some ways superior to in-person lessons because you're. It's pretty clear to both parties that this is a learning experience, and and there's no sort of forming a dependence on the on the teacher's hands or whatever. But um, I find that like um, something around eight or ten lessons is is plenty for most for most people to get a good start, and they may want to go beyond that. But um, and I agree with you. There have been huge changes in Alexander. Uh, teaching um, processes that are that some teachers have adapted, not all for sure. So that it, 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 I think if you find the right Alexander teacher, you're not going to be looking at a lot of lessons, and they are going to completely change the way you the way you play, the way you approach playing. I, I think that's I true. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I, I think I, I agree with you on all of those points. And you know, and, the, um, the other thing that I've <laughs> noticed, uh, and I'm, I'm not a, I am not a musician, so I can't speak with that uh, kind of um, background, but there is this uh, huge emphasis on long hours of practicing. Um, mm. And what I've seen with with several of my students is in particular, I've had students that simply did not have that time. They had families to deal with. They had all sorts of other obligations, and it was it was not possible for them to practice the hours that were recommended. And with Alexander, mm-hmm. they learned how to practice a lot smarter, a lot more efficiently. And And what a lot of them have told me is that when they now listen to other uh, of their classmates practicing, it sounds like they're just doing the same stuff over and over, and whatever uh, you know, mistakes or issues or stresses that come in just keep getting repeated and almost baked into them. Whereas if you approach practice as who you know, it's a thoughtful process using some Alexander ideas you can achieve in much less time the same, you know, the the learning that practice is supposed to help with. So, well, that's very true. And, and I, I imagine if, that's uh, heretical. I would sound heretical to a lot of people, <laughs> and it probably is, but I've seen that over and over again. That Actually, you know, I don't think it's heretical at all. There's, uh, uh, if anyone's interested, in it, there's some fantastic um, documentaries made um, with Yasha Haifetz, mm-hmm. and he talks about he he doesn't actually practice that much. He mm-hmm. tends to just really enjoy life, and right. then when he sets up the tour, there's a beautiful video on YouTube, um, and when he sets up the tour, he starts practicing just incrementally, maybe about 10, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and he builds it up to the fact, mm-hmm. to, the, mm-hmm. to the level where he can manage to do what he needs to do in the concert right but he practices very slowly just to rebuild the calluses and the sort of the legend is that his father taught him when he was a child and his father would basically close the case and put it up on the um 
up on a big high shelf so right. that he could only practice about about one hour a day. Yeah. And I see so that that would sound crazy to a lot of people. I mean, I, I have students who routinely practice five, six hours a day. or That's what they were doing when they first came for lessons. And if I tell them, well, maybe you should practice less, but but more thoughtfully, and they try that, and they suddenly discover they don't need all that extra stuff, and the extra stuff actually is not helping them. So. Well, I think if if you're if uh, if people who are sort of contesting your advice mm-hmm. could basically check out the, you know, the record that's left by, you know, the the. Um, sort of the masters of the modern right, instruments right, of the orchestra, right. they'll yeah. find that it matches what you're saying. Yeah. And it's uh, what we're dealing with is the myth of talent, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is one of the things that Alexander in his lifetime uh, dealt with very, uh, very consciously and also very practically. Mm-hmm. He was interested in how we can learn to construct support Support, uh, in the way we remember things, in the way we can reproduce things in as a, f- efficient a manner as possible. And some people might think that efficient can possibly be creative or emotionally effective, but I suppose it's a matter of experimenting and seeing that efficiency allows you all the space in the world to uh, take risks on the stage, for example. And, it's, it's, um, it's tough to take risks if you're in pain. It sure is. <laughs> you know, uh, that's not a good unfortunately, formula. Unfortunately. Well, you know, yes. I, <laughs> I think we're pretty much out of time. Do you have a final thought you'd like to um, share with our listeners? Or any, um, anything we haven't covered that you'd like to mention briefly? I'm... I put together a little Facebook group. Uh, it's called Musicians Ease Matters, and okay. it's very new. And if anyone is interested in uh, sharing mm-hmm. their, their experiences about mm-hmm. how uh, pain and pain-related music-related pain affects them, uh, they're welcome to visit the web, the Facebook site. Okay, and um, if, if uh, so, my my guest today has been Mustana Nazarian, who teaches in uh, Melbourne, Australia. So obviously, if you're in the Melbourne area, give her a call. I'll be putting a link to her website by the interview. Um, Nazarian also uses Skype, as as do I, and as do a number of a grow of rapidly growing number of of teachers. I'll also put a link to um, a website that'll give you. I, um, well, I'll give. I'll put a link to a website that is specifically about musicians and the Alexander technique, and also a website that is more generally about the Alexander technique. So, Nazarian, thank you so much for this. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me.